1: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Cutter remains in bad odor with its neighbors over a recent online provocation. Russia denies any involvement. Anna Amali talks about influence operations, especially with respect to elections, where they may be moving from doxing to disinformation. Leaks about election hacking shouldn't turn you off to multi-factor authentication. It's not the technology, it's us. Former FBI Director Comey testifies before the Senate Intelligence Committee. And a lesson from the NSA leak arrest. Assume the boss is watching. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your Cyberwire summary for Thursday, June 8, 2017. The hacking of the Qatar news agency with broadcast and Twitter content that represented that country's government as sympathetic with both Israel and Iran has opened a wide rift between Qatar and its neighboring members of the Gulf Cooperation Council. Several of its neighbors, including Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and the United Arab Emirates, have suspended diplomatic relations with Qatar. In the United Arab Emirates, this has taken the severe form—severe for an online political crime—of a law that could punish expression of agreement with or support for Qatar in social media with up to 15 years in prison. So if you find yourself in Dubai, think twice before hitting like or thumbs up or retweet. The law took effect yesterday. In this context, putative Iranian sympathies are probably the most serious offense Sunni Saudi Arabia and its Arab allies in the Gulf have long been at loggerheads with Shiite Iran over where regional power would reside. The present incident began on May twenty third with hoaxed broadcast news and a coordinated Twitter campaign. Qatar has stood out somewhat from other states in the region for its financial support of terrorist groups in Libya and Syria for its closeness with both the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas, and, by Arabian Gulf standards, for its relatively less chilly relationships with Iran. According to Motherboard, which cites anonymous security industry sources, the news agency's content management system is weakly defended, and hacking it would have been a relatively simple matter. Who might be behind the hacking is a matter of dispute. Here are the leading theories in descending order of probability. First, the Russian government did it. Qatar is host to important U.S. bases in the region, and disrupting security and military collaboration among the U.S. and the Gulf's Arab nations would tend to serve Russian interests. This theory appears to be favored by the U.S. intelligence community. The FBI is said to have personnel on the ground in Qatar assisting investigation. Second, Russian criminals did it. The style of the hijacking is said to be a little brassy, even for Fancy Bear in her brassiest moments. But in other respects, it resembles some of Fancy's prancing, and there has long been pervasive interpenetration of Russian intelligence services and criminal elements. How the criminals would have gained from the hack is unspecified. Third, the Saudis hired someone, maybe Russian hoods, to do it, presumably out of their animus towards a difficult neighbor. This theory verges on the paranoid, but stranger things have happened. If we had to bet, we'd take door number one. It's only fair to say that Russian authorities have denied, with some heat, that they had anything to do with it. In any event, U.S. President Trump has walked back his initial serves-them-right reaction to the diplomatic rift and has been making increasing efforts to pacify the parties in the dispute. If the Russians indeed are responsible, this would indicate a strategic shift away from simply doxing, what some WAGs last year called enforced transparency, and toward outright disinformation and provocation. We spoke this morning with Travis Farrell of the security firm Anamali, and a lead investigator in producing that company's report, Election Security in an Information Age, released this week. Farall noted that in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, the authenticity of the emails taken from the Democratic National Committee and released online wasn't seriously questioned. By the time the same threat actors worked their way into this year's French presidential election, they had begun to fabricate some of the more scurrilous material released about Emmanuel Macron, that election's ultimate winner. Farrell also noted that Macron's campaign, En Marche, was better prepared than the U.S. DNC to counter such disinformation. They expected it. They established honeypots and other time-wasting diversions for attackers, and they were quick to denounce false rumors. In the elections currently being held in the United Kingdom, where results are expected later tonight, there have been reports of a large and active campaign of sock puppetry mounted on behalf of the Labour Party's leader, Jeremy Corbyn. Farall thinks it's possible that we are seeing a strategic shift in Russian influence operations away from leaking and into classic black propaganda and front operations, tuned and updated for an online world where disinformation faces very low barriers to entry. Here in the U.S., the kids are getting out of school and many families are getting ready for summer vacation. Drew Pack is from Authenticate, a supplier of secure virtual browser technology, and he warns travelers to be extra cautious while away from home.
2: Travelers are prime targets, whether it's for personal or for, for business, uh, because all data has some value. Travelers also have uh, less control and fewer defenses protecting them. So, you know, they don't own the internet connection, they don't control the network, Uh, sometimes they don't even own the device, you know, like if they're using a computer in a hotel business center, for example. So criminals, they want the data because they can use it, or they can sell it, or they can hold it hostage, and they can make money from all of these different exploits.
1: So, is this a matter of, of people on vacation sort of uh, bumbling into situations where they might not be secure, or is it a, a matter of uh, the bad guys actually seeking out people who might be traveling?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, you might have criminals who are targeting specific hotels or resorts, uh, which happens all the time uh, with their point of sale infections. You might also have uh, just general purpose infections with malware that spread far and wide. And that's just hitting people everywhere, uh, as many people as possible, because the more people you infect, the higher the chances that you're gonna get some information you can actually use and sell and make money off of.
1: So what kinds of things should people do to protect themselves?
2: Yeah, there's just a couple of basic things. People have heard this over and over again, but it's, it bears repeating. Uh, one, you, you can keep everything updated and backed up. That includes the operating system, the device itself, you know, your web browser. Is, is the number one target for for hackers and exploits. Any kind of dedicated apps, uh, even on your phone, your mobile apps, those should be updated on a regular basis. This can uh, help limit any any damage. Uh, the second thing is if you think about your internet connection, like sending a postcard, you, you know, would you write something sensitive like your social security number on a postcard? Probably not. So just remember that public Wi-Fi is basically like sending a, a postcard. It's it's trivial to compromise and I think the third thing is to always use an encrypted connection when you're on the internet so that might be a VPN a virtual private network that you have to set up yourself uh, or it could be a dedicated app uh, that helps encrypt all your data connecting to a Wi-Fi hotspot is like sending a, po- a postcard then uh, encrypting your data is like putting it in an envelope and sending it uh, so it gives you a little bit more protection
1: and of course, you know, really, you're, you're on vacation. Unplug, right? Just give it a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: you should be spending time with your family instead of uh, online.
1: That's Drew Pack from Authenticate. Former FBI Director Comey testified this morning before the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee. His testimony was wide-ranging and avoiding matters touching on current investigations and on sensitive matters that would be addressed later in a closed session. But he was clear on one thing. He has little doubt the Russians attempted to influence U.S. elections and that this is a very serious matter indeed. And finally, the story of alleged NSA leaker Reality Winner, now in custody in Georgia facing charges of violating 18 U.S.C. Section 793E, has one lesson for anyone who uses IT in their workplace. Don't assume that the boss can't watch what you're up to. It took the FBI just four days from when The Intercept sought to authenticate the leaked documents to interview Ms. Winner and take her into custody. So the mills of justice proverbially grind slowly, but this time they were more like a blender on high speed.
2: Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging
1: And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dale Drew. He's the Chief Security Officer at Level Three Communications. Uh, Dale, welcome back. Uh, certainly, the, uh, the the state of healthcare security is uh, top of mind for a lot of people, and uh, you wanted to share some statistics from a recent report.
0: Uh, yeah, so there there was a recent uh, study released by Hims uh, on, on sort of the increase in volume and sophistication of, of security breaches against the healthcare industry. And what this really sort of talked about was, you know, the bad guys are beginning to, to commoditize your, your healthcare profile, um, for the purposes of, of selling that information online. And so a number of attacks are being more and more oriented, toward the healthcare environment and really taking that that industry by surprise and and sort of the, the the shock and awe approach. You know, some some of the key takeaways from that study, which I, I found to be pretty interesting were that the, the employee still becomes the single largest source of threat. Uh, about 80% of the respondents said that, that you know employee security awareness uh, was, was sort of the largest loophole with regards to uh, attacks. And that's everything from employees clicking on phishing emails that, that uh, gain access to uh, uh, the healthcare environment, answering uh, social engineering phone calls, and uh, responding with things like uh, names and passwords or other uh, assets to get in. They also said that about, about 97% of them said that, that uptime was of greatest importance to them, which means that we are seeing a pretty significant – I think it's third uh, in the ranking of, of uh, industries that are being targeted by DDoS attacks. And so the bad guys – when, when the bad guys can't steal identity information, they begin to extort uh, the healthcare industry uh, by launching DDoS extortion attacks and attempting to gain uh, money out of those, uh, those enterprises. And i say the last thing that I thought was surprising is a lot of the healthcare uh, companies still rely on fairly traditional uh, security techniques to be able to protect uh, themselves. And this is everything from trying to protect remote access uh, using fairly basic uh, controls, names and passwords. Uh, about eighty-five percent rely purely on uh, education and awareness, and seventy-five percent rely on uh, outside consultants uh, to be able to uh, direct them on how to control their systems. And while I've got nothing against outside uh, consultants, I think that that uh, you know bringing in outside parties needs to provide sort of a point in time view of how to improve your your in-house security program, not being the sort of the so the sole focus point for it.
1: All right, interesting stuff. Uh, Dale Drew, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.